Well, greetings, GBC Church family. I pray this video finds you in good health and good spirits and trusting the Lord each day as he brings us through this virus pandemic. If there's anything we can help you with, please don't hesitate to call the church office or contact us personally, and we'd be more than willing to assist you in any way we can. We also want to thank those of you who've been sending in your offerings. You know, we still support missionaries around the world during this time, as well as uh, the campus here has uh, expenses, utilities, whatnot. Even though we're not gathering here on a regular basis, there's still expenses to be made. And so we appreciate your, your faithful offering during this time. You can either give online through the church app, or you can send in your offering to Grace Bible Church, Attention Treasurer, 2225 Euclid Avenue, E-U-C-L-I-D Avenue. That's in Redwood City, California, 94061. We appreciate your continued support during this time. Well, to start off our worship this morning, I want to ask one of our elders, Ken Saragusa, to come and welcome us, as well as uh, share with us some brief announcements of some events of the upcoming week, and then introduce our scripture reading. Ken? Welcome and good Sunday morning to our GBC family and friends. Well, here we are entering our fourth week of media meeting and hoping that you're all well. As you may have heard, some of the restrictions may be lifted in the coming weeks. We all need to continue to be in prayer as this transition process will be slow. We hope that you have been blessed and encouraged these past weeks as Pastor Steve has delivered his messages on Sundays, and also beginning last week with our midweek Bible study, returning to the book of Ecclesiastes. So mark your calendar for this coming Wednesday, as he will continue in chapter 7. He will be videoing the message and have a Zoom connection after the message at 7.30. And we encourage anyone to check in as we will have some fellowship time and prayer time as well. Information will be sent via email prior to the study and found on our website at gracebibleonline.org or our GBC app. Also, ladies, we will, you will continue to meet on Tuesday evenings as well as Thursday mornings uh, via Zoom, as you have for the past four weeks. Anyone needing assistance in any way, please contact the office or myself or Pastor Steve as we will be available to help in any way we can. Continue to be in prayer for the leadership in our country, our state, our county, and our city governments for wisdom to make the coming decisions needed to move forward in the coming days, weeks, and months. And may we be reminded of whom to put our total trust in. I'm reading a part from Jeremiah chapter 17. Verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to be fruitful. Let us now open our Bibles to this morning's reading of God's Holy Word from Brother Dave Bowen. Dave. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you virtually. And uh, I look forward here to reading the scripture to you this morning. I thought it would be good to 
after celebrating the resurrection, to look at what does God expect of us now that we're on this side of the resurrection and how we should live as Christians. And Paul, as he's getting close to the end of his life, gave these instructions to Titus. And let's turn to our Bibles to chapter 3, verse 11, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 11, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 7. So chapter 2, verse 11 in Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him, to, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rules and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good works, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending our Lord Jesus Christ to the cross, who lived a righteous life to be the perfect Lamb, to sacrifice for us, to have a full righteousness with you by exchanging his righteousness with, for our sins. We thank you for that gift, that loving kindness that you've shown to all of us who believe in him, in you, who on the last days will raise us all to be with you. We thank you for this word to teach us how we should be obedient to your word, living trustworthy wives, lives, in the security of knowing that we will be with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Well, we find ourselves going through a series here in Grace, at Grace Bible Church called Surviving the Storm. Surviving the Storm. And this is message three in that series. Usually we don't do topical studies here at Grace Bible Church. Pretty much we'll stick to going through a book of the Bible and uh, we took a break from 1 Corinthians last fall before Christmas, and we'll be getting back into 1 Corinthians in the coming weeks. But right now we're in a series called Surviving the Storm. And last week we looked at the importance of a rock-solid foundation. And it's important to understand that we need something stable in our lives during this time. There's chaos, it seems, all around the world. And the foundations of this very society are being shaken. 
But for the Christian, there's hope because our faith is built on a sure foundation, a solid foundation. A couple weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to just read a portion of that for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. It says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We looked in the second message of this series. The Lord Jesus Christ was held forth as our foundation. And the church, his believers, are being built upon that foundation. Even Peter tells us that he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Christ says, Upon this rock, upon that confession of your faith, Peter, I will build my church. And he says, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We also looked at Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, where Isaiah wrote, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Well, you know, a firm foundation is so important to any structure, any building, but also to any life. I remember back when I was just, I think I was 12, 12 years of age, my sister Sue Ellen took me on a um, three-week vacation. It was three or four weeks vacation on a trip to Europe. And we spent about three weeks traveling around Europe with my brother Bob and his family and his little VW uh, camper van. And it was quite an adventure for a 12-year-old boy. I can still remember uh, coming from a small town in Pennsylvania. That was a big deal to fly in a big 747 jet across the Atlantic to, to Europe. I remember when we were in Italy, though, we visited what's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And the construction of the Leaning Tower of Pisa began all the way back in August of 1173. That's how old this building is. And it took some 344 years to complete. And it was interrupted over the years by earthquakes and wars and debt and, and structural flaws. Hence, it's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And if these obstacles weren't uh, run across, hadn't risen up, then the Tower of Pisa would have been completed in about, they say, between 185 and 195 years. Still quite a, a long time period. But it took 344 years to complete this structure. And the, the tower was finally completed in the mid-1300s. Can you imagine something so old? And it was open to the public, but eventually it was closed. And it was closed due to safety reasons, because it began to lean. <laughs> and it leaned more and more and more each year, and it became more significant. Well, on December 2001, December 2001, 
The Leaning Tower of Pisa, after being closed for a period of time, was finally reopened to the public because it was, it was closed for almost 12 years because of the structure and the, the lean that, that, that it had, and it was a danger. And so during that time, engineers completed a $25 million renovation project designing to stabilize the Leaning Tower of Pisa. They tell us that they removed 110 tons of dirt and reduced its famous lean by almost 16 inches. Can you imagine? It was leaning over 16 inches. Why was this necessary, you might ask? Because the tower has been tilting further and further away from its vertical center for hundreds of years. To the point that the top of the 185-foot tower was, listen to this, 17 feet further south than the bottom. In other words, the top of the tower was 17 feet over from the base. That's how far it was leaning. And the authorities were concerned that if nothing was done, it would soon just tip over. It would collapse. Well, what was the problem with the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you may ask? Was it a bad design? Was it poor workmanship? Was it maybe an inferior grade of marble? No. See, the problem wasn't with the structure that was above the ground. The problem was underneath. They built the Leaning Tower of Pisa, of Pisa on sandy soil, which the city of Pisa was built on, and it just wasn't stable enough to support such a monument of that size. And the tower, they found out, had no firm foundation. There was nothing built under the structure as far as the foundation goes, and that foundation was built on sand. Now, the last message in this series, a couple of weeks ago, we established that Christ is our foundation. Christ is our foundation. And we pointed out several characteristics of that foundation. We said that he was a laid foundation. It says, I lay in Zion. God the Father laid the foundation of Christ. We said, secondly, that it was a low foundation. I mean, you never drive up to a, a house and say, wow, look at that foundation. No, the foundation is below ground. You don't see the foundation. But it's very important to have a good foundation. We also said that it was a foundation of stone, which is a good element to make a foundation out of. It's sturdy. It's solid. Also, the foundation is out of sight. All foundations are pretty much out of sight. Once in a while, you see part of them. But for the most part, they're hidden. They're underground. Fifthly, we said it was a precious foundation, as we see there in Isaiah 28. The sixth thing we pointed out was that it was a permanent foundation. Isaiah 26, 4 speaks of Christ being the rock of ages from everlasting to everlasting. That should help us sleep at night. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. His promises are unchangeable promises. And then we also said that he was an elect, chosen foundation, chosen of God. He was precious. God had a purpose, had a plan in laying Christ as our foundation. And then the last thing we said quickly was it's an experienced or it's a tried foundation. He was tried by God who laid the load of our sins on his shoulders. 
and he never wavered. He never failed. Well, today I want us to look at a different passage. And having looking, having, having looked at the characteristics of that foundation, today I want to talk about three simple questions. Three simple questions. First of all, what is our duty to that foundation of Jesus Christ? Secondly, what kind of building is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? And then thirdly, what is our duty to the building? Not just the foundation, but what is our duty to the building? I want to read for us Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. This is a very sober portion of Scripture. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, and you can follow along as I read the Scripture for us this morning. Jesus says there, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we can gather even remotely together as the body of Christ. That you can speak these truths into our heart Lord, I pray that these would not be my words, but these would be your words. Because only your words have power and truth. And so we ask that you would help us to focus this morning on the message from your word. I pray that you would bless it to our hearts, to our hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the parable we just read is probably very familiar to most of us who have been in church for any portion of time. Basically, it's about two men who build houses for themselves. Uh, One builds on the rock, Christ, and one builds on the sand. About the one who builds his life on the rock, Christ, he says in verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house And it could not be shaken because it was well built. Now, you may know that story all too well. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought of this? We don't know how much time passes in verse 48. Between the words on the rock and the word and. Uh, This man could have built that house and years passed by before this massive storm came. It doesn't say he built the house and then immediately the storm came. Imagine that for a moment. What if he goes to all the trouble to build this house? He selects the right piece of property with solid bedrock. 
He digs down deep, which is not easy. He does the hard work of laying that firm foundation on the bedrock. He, he builds his house. He looks over and his neighbor's finished long, long before he ever even got his foundation done. And his neighbor's over there just lounging in the sun, mucking it up, playing in the sand with a nice home that he built. And here he is slaving away in the torturous heat, building his foundation, and then his home. Finally, then it's done. Think about this. Year after year, maybe they had a mild rainy season. The sun shines. He begins to look around and he begins to doubt himself. He was, begins to think, what was I thinking? I could have been done with this house years ago and enjoyed this house like my neighbor did his. Why did I go through all this trouble? See, his neighbor's home is still standing. And guess what? His back isn't even sore from all the hard work. He took the easy way. But the man who built on the rock spent a lot more money on the foundation. And his neighbor had all that money to himself to spend on himself. So his neighbor went out and bought a big screen TV. There's no rain, there's no wind, there's no storm. See, sometimes obedience is like that. You do all the work. You invest all the time, all the money, and meanwhile, it seems like your neighbor is just living it up, doing whatever they want, whenever they want. And here you are denying yourself, and they're indulging their self. And it seems as though in the end it doesn't matter. Sometimes obedience means you sit there for days on end while the sun seems to shine on everyone. And you wonder why you went through all the trouble. But the storms will come, my friend. And when they do, the rock of Jesus will not let you down. See, I look at it this way. If you're going to base your entire life on something, you want to know that that something is solid. You want to know that that is Sure, that it's able to bear the load. See, if you're going to stake your eternity on that same thing, you really want to be sure that it is truth. I mean, it would be utterly tragic to spend your entire life on a path that you thought led to heaven, only to find out too late that you were wrong. But that's exactly what the Bible indicates will happen to more people than not. So let's look at our first question for our message today. What is my duty to that foundation upon which my life, and for that matter, eternity, is built upon? What is my duty to the foundation of Christ? I have six points here to share with you, and we'll try to get through these quickly. Hopefully you've downloaded the uh, PDF outline from the app or online and uh, you got it through the email and hopefully you're following along as we go through this study together. Well, let's look at the first point here. To believe all this concerning him. 
What's our duty to the foundation? Well, first of all, it's to believe everything about him, about Christ. Uh, You say, well, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, believe that God has laid him purposely for a foundation. That God has anointed his son as our foundation. That he appointed him to be the prince and to be the savior. That God has given his own son to the world, as John 3.16 says, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, we're called upon to believe these things about Christ. John 20, 30, Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, our duty to the foundation is to believe God all concerning Christ. Secondly, we're called to behold and see our need of him. We're called to see our need of a foundation. You know, especially today in our modern society, I bet you'd be very, very hard-pressed to find a building that was being built without any foundation. They just wouldn't allow it. It wouldn't be safe. Well, guess what? We each have a building to build. (laughs) And what is our foundation? That's what we need to ask ourselves. I pray that it's not ourself. Because if it is, we're in for a real surprise. Because we don't have any righteousness of our own of our own to commend us to God. We have no strength. We have no ability or anything even that's good within ourselves. We have to see our need for Him as our foundation. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, Paul writes this, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not what? One. Not one. No one understands, Paul continues. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He says it twice. He has to emphasize it because, see, in our natural state, we don't want to believe that. We want to believe that, no, we have some good in us. The Bible says, no, we don't. And then also in Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one person on the face of the earth who can claim, Oh no, I am perfect. I'm sinless. The only person that could ever do that was the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's no longer on the face of the earth. He's in glory with his Father. So we need to behold and see our need of Christ as our foundation. And then thirdly, our duty to Christ as the foundation is to renounce all other foundations. You know, you don't need more than one foundation for a building typically. You just got to make sure that foundation is sure. Any other foundation other than the Lord Jesus Christ is but sand. And guess what? The Bible says, he who builds on the sand, guess what? Their building's going to fall. Every wise decision we make is one more step toward building our lives on that firm foundation. 
Jesus compares the house of the wise man to a house built on the rock in Matthew 7, 24. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. This is Matthew's take on the same parable we just read. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. People couldn't believe it. Why? Because it looked so good on the outside. But it had no foundation. See, we may not see immediate results when we're being obedient to the Lord, when we're trusting in Him. But we can think of it kind of like building a house. I remember watching uh, Ken LaPointe and Ken Saragusa remodel John and Mari's home, a couple in our congregation. And guess what? It didn't happen overnight. They had to tear the house apart first. Then they had to pour concrete. Then they had to redo the electrical and the HVAC system and everything. See, no one expects a house to be completed simply after pouring the foundation. You don't expect it to be completed after you cut a couple boards or nail a couple nails. You you don't assume that building a house is impossible when we see our house is not complete after you, you drive the first nail. You don't just give up. What do you do? You move to the next nail and the next piece and the next section of the house. And you begin to rebuild. See, every addition that makes the project look more like a house gives a little more encouragement. And it reminds us that, you know what? We just have to keep working. We just have to keep on working. It'll pay off. So we're called upon to renounce all other foundations. Don't build on the sand, my friend. Build on Christ Jesus, the Lord. And then fourthly, we need to communicate to him through prayer our needs. We're, we're instructed to communicate to Christ as our foundation, our needs. In Psalm 34, verse 15, the psalmist says this, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He wants you. To communicate to him. He desires you to pray to him. In Psalm 50 verse 15. The psalmist says. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. See what we need to do. Is we need to go to God. And we need to tell him. That we're sensible of our need for him. We have to go to him and say. You know what Lord. I am undone. I'm at the end of my rope. There's nowhere else to go to. I want to turn to you. I I think of Isaiah's, the prophet Isaiah's vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. Let me read it for you in verses 1 through 5, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. These are angelic beings. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook. 
at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. This is Isaiah saying this. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the peop- a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah became undone when he was faced with God's holiness. That's what needs to happen to us. When we come face to face with a holy God, we need to become undone. We don't need to try to justify ourselves. We don't need to be prideful. We need to be broken in spirit and contrite over our sin. Psalm twenty-two twenty-four says this, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not, listen, hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. That's why I always tell folks at the end of our message, you know what, if you have not committed your life to Christ, if you have not experienced the forgiveness of your sin through the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to cry out to God. He's the only one you can cry out to. You just cry out to God simply and you just say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a very biblical prayer, by the way. It's in the New Testament. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What are you doing? You're you're recognizing there's nowhere else to go for the forgiveness of your sin. So we need to communicate to God through prayer our need of Him. Fifth thing here, we need to build on Him. We need to build upon that foundation. See, in the great business of justification, to roll and rest your soul by faith on His meritorious righteousness, that's what we need to do on Christ, in Christ alone. In all of our tribulations, all our perils, all of our dangers, whether they're personal or public, we have to learn to run to Him, to fly to Him, to trust Him, to rely on Him. Faithful is He which is promised. Psalm 62, verses 1 to 2 says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. We need to build our lives upon the firm foundation of Christ. When everything else is shaken, when everything else is unsure, We can stand firmly upon Christ and Christ alone. The last point here on this to this question of what is our duty to Christ as our foundation. We need to beware that we build on this foundation. We need to be aware what we build on this foundation. First Corinthians three. He says if anyone builds On this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. You have to know how to build, what to build On that foundation. You can't just go off and do your own thing. If you build loosely. If you build in vain or carelessly. 
Your hopes will be built according to wood, hay, and stubble. So those are the duties that we have to Christ as our foundation. But secondly, the second question is, what kind of building is God building on this foundation of Christ? What kind of building is this? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 22, or chapter 2, verse 20, it says, You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. It says you are built, you are being built He's talking to the Ephesians here, Christians, saints, those who have come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Well, what kind of building is this? What kind of building is the church? What are the properties of it? I mean, there's a great deal of differences between buildings. If you go to downtown San Francisco, you can see all kinds of buildings. Or better yet, if you've ever had the opportunity to go to someplace like Dubai, you see architecture like you've never seen before. It's amazing. Every building's a little bit different. See, there's a great deal of difference between buildings. But guess what? The church, as the building of God, is a building without equals. There's nothing that even could raise up to the level of the church. Because this is God's building. And the points here are, first of all, it's a spiritual building. Other buildings are made of wood, stone, such like materials. But this, this building, the church building, is made up of men and women who have come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 6 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, listen, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it, stay, for, it, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What our Lord Jesus Christ says of his kingdom is true of his building. That it's not of this world. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. It's a building of souls, souls united by Him in faith. Those are the ones who are making up this spiritual building. Secondly, it's not only a spiritual building, but it's a spacious building. A building of large and vast extent. A great house, a great city it's compared to, a great kingdom. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, east, west, north, south. Now, it's true in comparison to the devil's building. <laughs> it is but small. <laughs> it's a remnant. It's a little flock, those that have come to Christ. But in itself considered, it is exceedingly wide and comprehensive. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John writes this. He says, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. It's a vast building. It's spacious. Thirdly, it's a, it's a high building. Though part of it 
be here below as the church, and yet the top of it is as high as heaven. There it is that the glorious angels are and the, the spirits of just men made perfect all of this same building. Their affections and their conversations are above. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us where our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the church is a high building. A high building. Fourthly, we're told it's a holy building. A holy building. We read already 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 to 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. It's a holy building. See, every building is not a temple. The church is God's temple. The temple was what? You know what the temple was? It was set apart for God. It was set apart from all other uses except for God. Psalm 4.3 says, The Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. And so it's our duty to set ourselves apart, to be for Him solely holy. Isaiah 56, 7 calls this temple a house of prayer. See, holiness to the Lord is written on the front of this building. It is the house that He dwells in. Psalm 132, verse 13, it says, For the Lord has chosen Zion, and He has desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. The church is a building which is holy. Fifthly, I'm not talking about the structural building. We're not talking about the four walls. We're talking about the, the spiritual building, like we said previously. But it's also a living building, fifthly. It's living. There's no other building like it. The same who are quickened by the Lord's Spirit and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The foundation is a living foundation. It's really a superstructure. A living superstructure. All the materials in this building are men and women made spiritually alive with divine awakening. Such as one were dead in trespasses and sins, but now they're alive to God. Make this sure of yourselves. Are you alive to God? Have you come to the end of yourselves and turned to Christ and Christ alone so you can become part of His living building? But it's also a light building. A light building. It's the one thing that makes a building pleasant and comfortable. Nobody likes to go into a dark building. A lot of people like houses with big windows. Why? It provides comfort. See, all the world besides is in darkness, but not God's building. The church only has the true light. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 10 says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. There are many things about which men 
can do in darkness. There are a lot of things that men do not understand. They're in the dark. The natural man, the Bible says, can't understand the things of God. They can't understand His glorious excellencies and His perfections. They can't understand the Lord Jesus Christ. They can't understand who He is and what He is to Himself and to us. They can't even understand or comprehend the corruption of nature about the evil of sin, the vanity of the creation, the vanity of the creature, and about the reality of invisible things, heaven and hell. They, they can't conceive that. Why? Because grace has not touched their lives. It's by grace that we're enlightened to those things. See, the devil's building is not a light building. It's a dark building. Matter of fact, he calls it the kingdom of darkness. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So the building that is being built upon Christ as the foundation is a building that is filled with light. That should bless our souls. And then lastly here, it's a secure, a safe building. Other buildings are exposed to wind and weather and water and fire and assaults. But this is safe. It's safe from all peril. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, he says, even the gates of hell will not prevail against this building. Men in all ages and generations have been trying to tear the church of God down, trying to overthrow it. But you know what? It's been in vain and to no purpose. And it will continue to be so. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Psalm 2 tells us that. Follow along in your Bible, Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your, inheritance, your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel." Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, the world has been attacking the church ever since its inception. But to no avail. To no avail. Well, the last thing here, it's a spreading, growing building. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, it says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It grows larger by how? By the addition of those who will yet be saved. 
It grows better as to light and knowledge, as to the gifts and the graces that, that God gives us through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord increases it more and more. He promises to build his church. Sometimes people ask me, don't, don't you have a church growth program? No, I don't. And the reason is, is simply because, as I think it was John MacArthur one time said, he said, Jesus Christ promised to build his church. I don't want to compete with him. <laughs> and that's so true. The Lord increases the church according to his plan. You don't need a church growth program. It increases slowly. See, church work is slow work. But guess what? It's sure. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Because through a lot of opposition, God blesses in spite of the opposition. In some places in the world, the name of Christ was never even mentioned. And one day, God led a missionary there. And in that part of the world, he slowly introduced the gospel. And eventually, there was maybe a convert or two. And in those parts of the world today, there, sometimes there's hundreds of thousands of believers. When there was none before, they were held to their paganistic beliefs. But now they're freed by the grace of Christ. A lot of times in many towns, families, there was ignorance as to the things of God. But now God is worshipped and Christ is exalted and his truths and ways are owned and they're professed. See, that's just the way the gospel works. It doesn't happen overnight. And that's why we have to persevere. We have to be faithful. Don't grow discouraged. You be faithful. God will take care of the rest. Well, the last question here is, what is our duty to the building? So what is our duty to the foundation? What kind of building is it? And then what is our duty to the building? Show what is our duty to this, this building called the church. Well, first of all, to see that we have a secure place and that we're, we're standing in it. That's what the church is. It's a secure place. I mean, we have the great privilege of being part of the body of Christ, where Christ himself is the head. And it's a great privilege to be part of a, a, a building where Christ is the foundation. It's certain that all that adhere to it in an outward, visible profession are not necessarily part of that building. Think of a building, an older building. Maybe it has moss and ivy growing up the walls of that building. Even though they look like they're, they're part of the wall, they're not. <laughs> they're not part of that foundation. So it is with the church. There are people that come to church every week. There are people that profess to know Christ. But you know what? They're no more part of the church than that ivy is part of that building. It's just something on the surface. There's a great deal of difference between someone who is part of the church, someone who is part of the makeup of the true stone of the foundation, and someone who is not. First John chapter 2, verse 19 tells us that. What does John say? He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. See, sometimes we don't know who's in Christ and who isn't. We don't know who's part of the church and who's not. And so we have to be careful that we don't act too quickly with individuals. We let God sort these things out. But all true stones in this building are living stones. That's what 1 Peter 2.5 says. Well, ask yourself, what life do you have? Do you have a habitation of God through the Spirit? Or do you have a spirit that is still tainted by sin that dwells within you? See, we must be sure that we are caught out of the quarry of natural condition of our sinfulness. The only way that can happen is by regenerating grace, by Christ himself. There's much to do in the Christian work. There's no other way to do it. You just got to roll up your sleeves and do it. But we must, by faith, receive Christ Jesus the Lord. We must make Him our foundation. We must rest and rely on Him for righteousness, acceptance, salvation. We must cleave to Him and Christ alone with full purpose of heart. And having done so, we build up ourselves into our most holy faith. We grow continually in grace, adding to faith virtue. If we grow into Christ more and more, we are certainly in Him. We persevere in our faith. So we have to understand that 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 building is a secure place that we're standing on. And then lastly here this morning, to seek as much as in us lies the good of the building. If we could do nothing else, For this building, we need to pray for it. Pray for peace within the building. Peace within itself. Peace that differences may be, pray that differences may be healed. See, the cement of this building, the mortar of this building, beloved, is that love that God has graced us with. Someone once said that all the stones in Solomon's temple were so ordered that they all looked like one stone. They were so perfect. See, that's what the church should look like. Our prayers must be seconded by our lives, how we live out our lives. I pray that we will be good examples to a lost and dying world of what it means to be saved by God's grace. That we can live each day fully for Him. So what is our duty to this foundation? What kind of building is built on this foundation? And what is our duty to the building that is built on the foundation? Are the questions that we answered this morning. In closing, I just want to ask, have you ever watched footage of when they take down an old building, an old skyscraper? You know, they they spend sometimes weeks, engineers spend weeks preparing the building. 
They put dynamite at strategic places in the foundation. And you see a successful raising of a building when this dynamite goes off and the building literally implodes. It falls in on itself. And all of a sudden you just are left with a big heap of brick and mortar and rock. Well, it's not surprising that Satan desires... He tries to blow up the foundation of our faith continuously. That's why we're built on none other than Christ, Jesus our Lord, and his word. I mean, think about it. It was all the way back in the book of Genesis, beloved, that Satan said, indeed, did God say this? What did he do? He questioned God's word. And he's attempted to bring down our faith through liberal theologies, to undermine the veracity of Scripture. A lot of our higher education today were founded to train men in God's Word. Places like Yale and Harvard and Princeton. They were literal seminaries. And now they're dominated by skeptics who sneer at God's Word. They're dominated by beliefs like evolution, which against all reason is accepted as fact in our public education system. And it does away with the need to submit to the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I pray that as you spent time listening to this message this morning, that God spoke to your heart. And you understand your duty to this foundation of Christ. You understand what kind of building the church is. And what is our duty to the church. See, when we build our lives on this kind of firm foundation, it doesn't matter what happens around us. We know that we're secure because we're secure in Christ. We sing the little song, He will hold me fast. The chorus, and that's so true. He will Hold us fast to the end. And I pray that they, that if you have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not come to Him for the forgiveness of sin, that today may be the day that you turn from your sin to the Savior. That you just cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know that there's nowhere else to go to carry to take away this burden of sin that I've been carrying all my life. But your word says that if I come to Christ and I trust him and trust in his work on the cross for me, that, Lord, you will save me if I cry out in repentance from a sincere heart. It's a prayer that God will answer. I pray that that would be your prayer this morning. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we do stand upon Christ as our sure foundation. Lord, that in the world that is topsy-turvy, that everything is going, seems upside down at times, the foundation of our society has literally been shaken in the last few months. And yet, Lord, we know that you stand Secure, that we can stand secure in Christ as our foundation. And so, Father, I pray that that would help us 
in our faith to persevere through these times. And Lord, we do pray for those in leadership over us and in the country. We pray for our president and vice president that you would give them wisdom to do what's right, to get this economy going again and get people back to work and do so safely. We pray that you would even supernaturally protect those from this virus. That, Lord, you would help us to um, use common sense and not to be careless. And yet, Lord, also not to be fearful. That, Lord, we will trust in you. You are our keeper. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that if anyone here who's yet to put their faith and trust in Christ or anyone who hears this message, I pray that they would cry out to you, Lord, save me, be merciful to me, a sinner, and that you would do that work of regenerating their heart, saving them, as only you can, through the power of Christ and your word. We ask that you'd give us a good week. Pray that we'd be able to reach out to those around us, maybe not physically yet, <laughs> but Lord, we do pray that you would give us that ability to encourage Help us not to forget this is a wonderful time to share the gospel with those who have yet to believe. Because, God, the world may not have the answers, but your word does. And so we thank you that we can look to it. When we look sincerely, you will guide us and lead us through your word. Pray your blessing upon this upcoming week. We ask this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.